You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. And a huge welcome to you that are joining online this morning as well. Uh, welcome to Catalyst here at Central. Woo! What a lovely time of worship we had here in this building this morning already, haven't we? I know when we began to sing the Lord's Prayer, you know, I think often something begins to happen, doesn't it? So guys, we're in the book of James, and we're going to be turning to James 5, so if you've got a Bible, we can turn there. But uh, as you're doing that, I want to go interactive this morning with us, and then also with you online. You could play this online. I want to do a word association just to get the ball rolling this morning. You know, sometimes as a family, we play ridiculous games, and you know, we played a game the other week, and uh, I can't remember. It was a wordy one, but I can't remember what it was called. I think articulate or something along. Oh, it wasn't that. But anyway, when I, I'm going to say a word, and then I want don't overthink it. And then we're going to go to word association. Are you ready? So let we, <laughs> Okay, the word is mature. <laughs> I love that. We're in church. It's cheese. <laughs> so mature. We've got cheese. Have we got anything else? Wine. We've got... <laughs> It, that says something about our community, doesn't it? Mature cheese and wine. What else? We've got whiskey there. Victor. What? Oh, he was a film star. Okay. Okay, well, come on. Let's get a few more. Follower. Whoa, we're now moving into sort of like holy territory. Okay, a couple more. Grown up. Somebody's grown up. Brilliant. So it has something to do with age and aging, it seems, doesn't it? Or maybe it does, or maybe it doesn't. Oh, my laptop has just died on me. Hold on. Let's just see what's going on here. Okay. Okay, let me ask the spiritual maturity. Come on, where are associations to that? Godly, wise, fruitfulness, abundance. That's good. I like that. Growth, depth, giving. Love it. Feels like spiritual maturity has roots, it's stable, it's got depth, it's rich. I mean, we joke about cheese and wine, but actually there is something in that, isn't it, in the sense of that it's got body to it, it's hung out, it's got some experience. Spiritual maturity is also radical. It's a life of obedience. It's counter-cultural. It's distinct even risky. It can take the weight. There's a strength to it. And someone said abundance and fruitfulness. What is that? Is that just about character? 
Or is it more than that? It's about witness as well, isn't it? Maturity. And so, guys, if you've just joined us today, or you've been kind of like hopping in and out, we're back in James. And the whole of the book of James really is about saying, my people, my friends, the people that he's writing to, he's saying, I want you to become spiritually mature. I want you to grow up. And to do that, you cannot live a passive life. I mean, a bunch of us love sport, don't we? You know, a load of us will sit in an armchair and become absolute experts in a particular field. But some of us have never ever played that game. James does not let us off the hook. He says, if you're going to become a mature follower of Jesus, you've got to be on the field. You can't just be a people that talk about it, that don't ever do it. And so the whole, I don't, I I mean, I feel like this is just the rhythm, the thread, the sort of seam of truth that James is constantly bringing us back to throughout these passages. Would you agree? Would you agree online, guys? Is that what we're hearing? I don't know what you're hearing on a Sunday morning, but I'm hearing the deep challenge. Come on, people, let's grow up. But you cannot just be a people of words. There's something else as well that's got to happen. And so that's where, you know, where we're going. It seems like the mature Christian life is more full of heaven, but still very much living on earth. That's why I love when we sing the Lord's Prayer. That's what we're doing, aren't we? We're positioning ourselves more of heaven in me today, on earth, as it is, in heaven. What does that look and feel like? More of heaven in me. More of heaven in us as a gathered community, as a church body, uh, 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 the body of Christ. We want more of him, more of heaven, more of his reign at work and operating in our lives. That's what I'm hearing when I hear brother James, big brother James, kind of stirring us up a good bit. And so... The passage that we're in today, James in his passionate, dare I say, Middle Eastern manner, is going to put some fire in our bones as he's been doing, you know, consistently. He has a rant, actually, about the injustices of this world, more of heaven on earth. Wow. Wow. He's observing some things in the world and he's crying out and he challenges the injustices in the world and he reminds us that God is sovereign. That actually when you encounter God, he is a God of mercy, 100%, isn't that right? He's a God of compassion, but he's also a God of justice. And they're not mutually exclusive. When you meet Jesus, you meet mercy, compassion, and justice. That's what the cross is all about. And so he's going to raise this in an interesting way. And I just want to frame the passage, just give us a little bit of background. I know, we, you know this is like a letter to the scattered early church, to Jewish converts who probably by Acts chapter 8 had experienced the death and the stoning of Stephen, and then were scattered out into the Mediterranean. 
It was probably written between 10 and 15 years after the ascension of Jesus. So this is a really early book. This is a really early echo. You know, in James, he'll be hearing the life and the times and the, and the words of Jesus very readily. And then he's speaking into a community that has actually been on the run. They are asylum seekers moving into other cities and towns. They are resident aliens living in other places, feeling in that place of limbo. Okay? So that's the context of this book of James. They have been shoved out of the familiar because Jerusalem in so many ways has become almost untenable for them. And yet James and some of the other leaders are staying in Jerusalem and they're also experiencing extreme pressure. So he's speaking from within a persecuted context and a highly pressured situation. So why don't we read the passage, shall we? James chapter 5. Are we good? All right, let's do that. James chapter 5. Actually, let me just pray while we do this. Because we want, Lord, we want your words just to grip our hearts this morning. And as we cover some ground for each and every one of us in this room, would you speak and whisper truth and life and challenge and conviction and love into our hearts? Amen. Are you ready? kicks off with like almost like an Old Testament rant. So, I don't know. Tighten your belts. Now listen, you rich people. (laughs) Weep and wail. What a great way to start. Because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Crikey, this is almost Dante-esque. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fatted yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord is coming near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged, for the judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And above all, brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven and earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you too will be condemned. Okay, there's a lot. It's a big passage. It's a punchy passage. It's a little bit of a challenging passage. Did you notice he is speaking out, isn't he? He is speaking out to society, and we'll come to that. He's also speaking into the church. 
He's speaking into, he calls them brothers and sisters, and then at the end, he drops that little bomb, above all, he's going to speak as to what is of paramount importance for those people who have been scattered and how they're going to be a witness into their communities effectively. So there's an out, there's an in, and then there's a to, okay, in the passage. And he kicks off with this, you know, assessment of the rich and the ruling class. I don't know if he CC'd them on an email. Because <laughs> you have to remember, he's writing to brothers and sisters, but he's ranting against something, isn't it? So it's like he's saying some things deliberately, and in doing though, he's warning some people, but in the same way of warning and in saying, this is what's going to happen, actually there's an encouragement to the people who are reading his letter and reading this text. Because when you're in it up to your neck and having a really tough time, you, and you see injustice, he reminds them very quickly, God is a God of justice. And, uh, and at some point, when he returns, everything will be different. And justice will come, and justice will be served. And so there is a warning and an encouragement. Do you see that? If you were in this, I think you, you'd hear that. You'd be like, oh, he's reminding us that God is ultimately in charge of this world, not just the rich and the powerful right now. And James, in a sense, is transporting them out of the current moment and the current wrongdoing to a different kind of future. A future courtroom, actually, the language that's used here. When the innocent and the voiceless are given a voice. And when ever the evidence of the truth of today's injustices will be presented. And that which is hidden, and that which was being pushed aside, that which is being gagged, will actually be brought out into the light and given a voice. And the very means in which they got rich will be exposed for all to see. Now, when I read this, and I look at our world, our world has not changed much in so many ways from the world that James was a part of. What I get from this an encouragement, it sounds weird, is that I know one day my merciful and compassionate and justice-orientated God will not let it lie. And so if I know that, there are times I can actually release that injustice to him and not for me to take hold of it and do something with it. And then yet saying that when we meet Jesus, justice is part of his DNA. And so the church must actually expose and shout and cry out and at least say something about the injustices in our world and how the poor in particular are oppressed. And I know that some of you here and some of you listening online, you're like, when you meet Jesus, when you're in his presence, there's something going on in you around justice. That's his voice. You are meeting the very presence and the heartbeat of God. When, when, when I, I'm sure that when, you know, um, these guys listened to that, they heard kind of like the voice of the exodus. You know, it says there, the Lord Almighty has heard your crying. You, you've heard, Lord, the cries of these, of these people. 
These, remember, these are Jewish converts. They'd have been like, when Moses was at that bush, what did God say to Moses? I have heard the cries of my people. I'm sending you to go and set them free. You can hear the echo, can't you, in this. There is hope. God has come. God is hearing what you're, what's going on. The craziest thing is this, right? Is wealth, I don't know, when you read this passage and when you break it down, wealth isn't on trial. What is on trial is how they got rich. And then what did they do with the finance or the power and the influence that came with it? The means of how they got rich is on trial. Who did they tread on? Who did they push down to rise up? What contracts did they renege on? They said one thing and did another. A few sentences before this paragraph that we kicked off and Tori spoke about the arrogance a couple of weeks ago of our self-sufficiency and our money-orientating kind of life and society. That life is just but a mist here and gone tomorrow. That's what it says. If you've got your Bibles, you can see that. And then verse 16, it says this. As it is you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. And then it says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. So then, you know, because the Bible's broken down, we've broke it down into chapters and verses. But in James's, that wouldn't have been there. So he'd have said that, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. Now you listen, rich people. You see, he's, he's saying, you know, and the theme again running through the book of James is, if you have power and position and, and authority, then you have a strong responsibility to look after and do the right thing. These guys have not only not done the right thing, but they have actually withheld pay from day workers, from day laborers. That's the illustration he uses. And the reason he uses the day laboring thing is because a huge proportion of the scattered church would have been day laborers. Let's just think about the context of this. They have lived in Jerusalem and in Israel for most of their lives. It's the epicenter of their faith, their law, their community, and everything, their identity. And then Jesus has died and resurrected, and and then probably a whole bunch of these guys have come to faith at Pentecost. They're part of the 3,000 that went, wow, and then got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then suddenly persecution has come upon them and they have been pushed out of their homes and now they are like literally asylum seekers in other cities in other places trying to scrape together means and income and whatever else you know just trying to make it and so the illustration is incredibly valid because it's probably what's going on in their lives and he's saying to them And he's saying to those that are actually abusing that system, there will come a day. And the problem is, is they are trusting in their wealth, aren't they? Point number one here is that we are called as a people not to trust in wealth. When we begin to fully trust in wealth and put all of our security in that and we make we actually make wealth our master, then it is a very thirsty master. 
And what we see here is the powers that be, the Jewish elite, however, whoever that was, wealth had become their masters and they had built walls of security around themselves. The crazy thing is this, the very thing that they had invested in became the very evidence of their condemnation. Can you see the irony in the courtroom moment? So easy, isn't it, for us to invest and to build and put money first. And here he's saying, that will not work in my kingdom to come. Just a power, like we don't talk about this stuff that often, do we? We don't often talk about the, the justice of God. But it would have been an extraordinary encouragement to those who are feeling the pressure. One day, one day God's going to sort this out. And maybe in their lifetime and maybe not. But God doesn't forget. And even though it doesn't feel right right now, and many, many would feel aggrieved, and maybe even some of you are in situations right now where you feel aggrieved, I think the word to us today is this. God sees, God hears, and God doesn't forget. During COVID, um, or just after, well, during COVID, I was watching the migration of the day laborers in India. Something like six million day laborers alone live in the heart of Delhi. When COVID happened, they had nothing and no one and nowhere to go. There is a lot of people in the world today that live and experience what we're hearing here. And I think often in our culture, in our context, I'm not saying there isn't oppression, but sometimes we need to hear the stories and the words and the cries of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that live under systems and regimes and dare I even say organized crime, but they have no choice. They are caught up in something. And so... For them, a word like this is really, really important. I follow a God who will one day in his return intervene and bring heaven to earth. You know, James wouldn't have had the book of Revelation. But he certainly would have heard the words of Jesus and remembered the words of Jesus. Say, look at in Matthew chapter 25 when he says, hey, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him and he's going to separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. You know, and that, he's, he's trying to just say, hey, Listen, look up beyond where you are right now. Look through to another day, a new day. But we've got John's revelation in the Bible that came a little bit later on. And remember what that says in, in, in Revelations 21, where the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of Christ, where his rule and reign will become permanent. So just listen to the words of this, Revelation 21. Look God's dwelling place is now among people, 
and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things have now passed away. And then he says, and I am making all things new. When I read that passage, no more tears, I think about this. Somebody caused tears. There's been mourning, somebody's caused death. The whole history of humanity comes into view in this moment, in this glorious future that we as Christians know and believe that will happen one day. That every tear will be wiped. Every injustice will be judged and put right. And God will bring justice in the end. I think sometimes we need the perspective, big perspective, that we should view our world through the lens of a Jesus who's going to come and put it back together. And that should also fuel the fire in us to be a people who, yes, embrace the world with love and compassion, point people to a loving and compassionate and merciful Jesus, and also stand up at times and say, no, that's enough. That is, there's injustices in the world. And our transform team, you know, do that on a weekly basis. And there's lots of other ways that we want to express that. Okay, so really, like, just real quick then, let's not trust in wealth. That's the short of it. And then he kind of shifts gear, and then he begins to speak to brothers and sisters. I've got two more points, but we're going to do this really quick. And, 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 and he's basically saying to them then, in short, he's saying, don't trust in, in, in wealth, trust God. Trust in God. And let's just think for a moment. These guys are living under extreme situations, no longer in their own homes, kind of on the run, asylum seekers. They're actually living probably in and around Acts chapter 10, 11, and 12, and 13. So if you read that, it gives you context for it all. He says, he says, four, four be patient, and one persevere. And then he uses two illustrations. Can you see them in there? You know, sometimes when it comes to preaching and teaching, we don't actually have to go looking for illustrations. They're already in the Bible. And, he, and, and, and uh, James uses these two for good reason. He says, just like the farmer who sows the seed, he has to wait patiently. There will come good, a good harvest. It says that. And then he says, and remember the prophets of old who had a really tough time, but they stood up and spoke into the lives of some, you know, of the kings and the powers that be at those times. And yes, they suffered for it, but what did it do? It turned something in the history of Israel on a, you know, on a, on a, on a throughout their history, you know, those men and women spoke and, and some of them died, but at the same time, it shifted something on the axis of Israel's history. And so he uses these two things to say, I know it's tough right now, but be patient. And that's hard, isn't it? Wait in the moment because we have a God who's sovereign and loving and will take the tough stuff and produce good out of it. Some of us in this room, in our own personal lives, would, would be able to tell a testimony of, oh, it was not easy. 
but I hung in. I persevered. Because often many of us have that prayer, get me out of here, Scotty. Beam me up, Scotty. Uh, you know, Star, uh, Star Trek kind of moment. Get me out of the situation. The reality is these guys couldn't get out of their situations. They were subject to a system that had pinned them. And so he's saying to them, just be patient. God is going to use this. And so as you read this and you remember, we, see, we, we can look at this passage of Scripture. We can hear what James is saying. And when we put it into the book of Acts, we have, don't we, 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 because of history, we can look back and actually know that it was really tough, but it was one of the most fruitful times in church history where the gospel suddenly just took off across the Mediterranean. Some of the toughest times become the most, somebody said it, fruitful and abundant times. And it's not always about just our personal security and safety. It's God wants to use us for his glory. That's what we just sang and that's what we just prayed in God's prayer, in the Lord's prayer, didn't we? Your glory, your power. And so these guys... When we read the book of Acts and we read and we overlay this on top of that, what we're seeing is this is tough. This is not easy. There is injustice and yet incredible fruitfulness. Thousands were meeting Jesus because of their displacement. Antioch was being turned upside down. That's within 10 to 15 years of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. They would have stayed in Jerusalem all their lives. The gospel may never have broken out to the Gentile world and to you and me. Do you see the big picture that's going on here? And so he speaks to brothers and sisters, be patient. And isn't it beautiful when somebody who's in the situation encourages another? Like, that's really powerful, isn't it? You know, if you've been really poorly, I remember the, I remember the days when yeah, we're hopping on about COVID, but you, you get a phone call from somebody, a text message, you go, I've been there, I've done it, it was awful, but hey, come on, hang in there, we're praying for you. When somebody speaks encouragement from a place of actually experiencing that thing that you're now going through, it's a very powerful moment. James is experiencing everything that the other guys are experiencing. And he is a mature spiritual believer is saying, look up, God will come through. And we know in history, he very much so does. And so let's trust in God. And then finally, guys, and this is the bit, I mean, we don't have time to do it tonight, today. But actually, he then does also say, listen, when there's pressure on us, yeah, the pressure, if we filter it with Jesus, then we'll become fruitful. When we don't, we'll grumble. That's what he talks about. Isn't that true? When you're under pressure, it's, there's a choice to be made. We're either going to grumble about the situation and it gets twisted. And when we start to grumble as a community, guess what? We crumble as a community. Sounds cheesy. You grumble, you crumble. But if you, under pressure, become humble. (laughs) 
I'm thinking of the other umble. <laughs> but you get the message. Okay, and then, and then listen, just, just we're going to land on this because I'm, this is the bit I'm really challenged about. And, and then he just says to them, right, and, and after saying all of that, I've challenged society, I've challenged the powers that be. I really want to encourage you to look through this, to persevere and to have patience and don't grumble, but be humble. And then he says, and then above all, did you see it in the passage? He says, now above all, I want you to live simply and let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear by anybody. He's now saying, to be really effective in a world where words have become empty, your, your words and your life need to now be more connected than ever. Because when the words and your life connect, something happens in our society. I was in the gym speaking to a good friend of mine and you know, I really admire her, she's great fun, she's a, P, one of, a PT friend and she gives me a hard time. She says, James, you say it, but sometimes you don't do it. And I felt the voice of the Lord. And I had to live with it for a few minutes. But we were talking about love languages. I think I was talking about me and Tor and just how we communicate and all of that. And I just kind of assumed something. And I said, oh, I think you must be like a words of affirmation person. She went, what do you mean? I said, I reckon if like, people say really nice things about you, you know, your hair's nice or whatever. You're just like, mm, that's lovely. She said, uh-uh. In my world, words are cheap. That's what she said. Words aren't enough, James. In my life, in my experiences, people say a whole load of stuff. Don't back it up. And as I'm listening and pretending to do some kind of weights, I'm going, I feel really convicted. The world is looking for a church that isn't full of good intent, but a church that moves from a place of just words to doing. I'm deeply, personally, I'm convicted. I don't wanna, none of us do we, on our tombstones one nice guy but didn't deliver. Because we do, we, it's easy, listen, and we can, like, this is just a personal thing, and we're wrapping up now. We can blame busyness. Lots of us. Good intent is when love stays at home and doesn't get in the car, doesn't go and visit, Good intent is when those words stay in our heads but don't end up on a text. Good intent actually isn't anything. And James is like, the world, you guys, we're not to be good intent people, but we're to live trustworthy lives. That's what's going to change the world. And I'm going to leave it on that mic drop, boom, moment. Because I think all of us, I'm wrestling with it, I'm feeling it, but I think all of us can live. And we live in a world, don't we, where words are words, are words but actually life and action 
So can I just say this, this morning as we wrap up and as you head home and into this week, I think probably a bunch of us have a little list where we're like, I need to go and do that. I need to say that to so-and-so. I'm going to go and extend forgiveness today. I'm going to go and do it. Why don't we just, as a community, and you can hold me to account as well, let's just become a people that aren't around just living good intent, but move from intent to action. Holy Spirit, we love you that you just bring conviction and the sweet compassion all at the same time. Heavenly Father, would you come and breathe on us this morning. Equip us, help us, stir us. Father, for anybody here who feels like they're living in, in a situation where there is genuine injustice, we pray that the peace and the presence of God is upon them, that you would give them patience to look up to you and not allow that situation to twist and harden their hearts. And for the rest of us, Lord, that we'd be a people who really, really do look more like you, who say things and then do them. Amen. Amen. Adrienne. Guys, thank you for listening online. We love you. Have a good one.